go, yes, we roll. Take 360 degrees. High, high, 360 degrees. High, high, 306. 306. 360 degrees. High, high, Good evening, everyone, and welcome to Full Circle, your cultural affairs radio magazine, produced by members of the First Voice Apprenticeship Program. This show is written, produced, and is broadcasting live from Huchin, occupied Ohlone territory also known to settlers as the Bay Area. So when Anthony Bourdain and Kate Spade's suicides made headlines, we got to wondering, given the extreme violence of our political climate, our mental health is of tremendous importance. But what does it mean to be mentally healthy? Why, in fact, are we made to think our mental, emotional, and physical health are separate? Whose idea was that? What are the cultural roots of suicide and how are health and sickness understood differently across cultures? On tonight's show, we are joined by three guests, all healing practitioners and mental health providers, Shauna Jans, Pinara Tesh Sinopoulos Lloyd, and Bree Williams. They join us to analyze our national conversation about suicide. Together, we'll interrogate the cultural norms that frame our understanding of health and sickness. All that and more tonight on Full Circle. For your hosts, Nicole Gervasio of We Rise, Kat Petru of We Rise, and Apprentice Group 42, Mari Nakagawa of Group 43, stay with us. Modern psychology has a word that is probably used more than any other word in psychology. It is the word maladjusted. It is the ringing cry of modern child psychology, maladjusted. Now, of course, we all want to live the well-adjusted life in order to avoid neurotic and schizophrenic personalities. But as I move toward my conclusion, I would like to say to you today, in a very honest manner, that there are some things in our society and some things in our world for which I'm proud to be maladjusted. And I call upon all men of goodwill to be maladjusted to these things until the good society is realized. I must honestly say to you that I never intend to adjust myself to racial segregation and discrimination. I never intend to adjust myself to religious bigotry. I never intend to adjust myself to economic conditions that will take necessities from the many to give luxuries to the few and leave millions of God's children smothering in an airtight cage of poverty in the midst of an affluent society. Good evening, everyone, and again, welcome to Full Circle on 94.1 KPFA in Berkeley and KPFA.org. The voice you just heard, of course, was Martin Luther King Jr. speaking at Western Michigan University on December 18th, 1963. So as someone myself, this is Kat, who has been pathologized with mental illness, um, 
the ability to internalize analyses like King's about health and wellness has been life-saving. And so King has another quote that goes, human salvation lies in the hands of the creatively maladjusted. And it's echoed by someone named Jiddu Krishnamurti, who said, it is no measure of health to be well-adjusted to a profoundly sick society. The recent high-profile deaths of celebrities Anthony Bourdain and Kate Spade have sparked a nationwide conversation about suicide. Many of us are asking ourselves, what causes suicide? And what can we do to prevent it? Well, the common response is mental illness causes suicide. But what happens when a society at large exhibits signs of mental illness? What happens when suicide is an epidemic? Tonight we are joined by Shauna Jans, Pinar Atesh Sinopoulos Lloyd, and Bree Williams, all three mental health providers and healers, to delve into these questions. Can you please introduce yourselves? And Bree, maybe you can go first. Bree's live in studio with us. Hello, world. Uh, Bree Williams here. I'm so happy to be here. Um, just to give you a little bit about myself, I'm a mother to a beautiful nine-year-old diva and princess. Hey. <laughs> um, I'm a poet known as Bree's Will. I'm an advocate for social justice and mental health. Uh, that advocacy translates into my work life where I'm a programs manager at Peers. Uh, Peers is a mental health-run organization. 100% um, of our staff identify as consumers, which means they're people who have lived experience and mental health or trauma um, and we provide an array of free services uh, to community and we're just very happy to be here. Thank you so much and Panar, um, you're calling in from Big Sur. You want to introduce yourself next? Yes, thank you. Um, my name is Panar, and I'm currently on occupied Ethelin territory um, and I want to introduce my um, ancestors. Uh, my master lineage is Wonka, which is native to the Andes um, in East Kuchaka, as well as uh, Chinese. And my Pacha lineage is um, Turkish, which is where I grew up for half my life and then actually also grew up on Ohlone territory where you all are at right now. <laughs> and um, yeah, and I'm a suicide survivor um, myself and I'm very passionate about the this topic um, as a radical mental health advocate. Um, I'm also the co-founder of Queer Nature, um, which is a project that brings um, nature connection, survival skills, and um, rites of passage to the LGBTQ2 community in um, Arapaho, U and Cheyenne territories, um, which is so-called Boulder, Colorado. Thank you so much for that introduction. It's an honor to have you here as well. And Shauna is calling in from British Columbia, also occupied territory. Shauna, can you introduce yourself, please? Do we have Shauna on the line? We are seeing if we have Shauna on the line. In the meantime, I can let you all know, listening, that we'll have links to um, Bree and Pinar and Shauna, assuming we get her on, um, on our website, which is kpfaapprentice.org. So you can get in touch and learn more about the incredible work that they do. Um, one more time, let's see if we've got Shauna. If not, we'll keep moving. Hi, I'm here. I'm Yay. Not Hello, you hear me now? Yes, we can. Oh, yes. Thank you. Welcome. Okay. Please introduce yourself. <laughs> Beautiful. So my name is Shauna, and yes, I'm calling from Vancouver Island, west coast of Canada, on the ancestral lands of the Coast Salish Lekwungen-speaking people. Um, 
I'd also love to introduce myself through my ancestry. My people are uh, Northern Germanic, Scandinavian, and Scottish. And um, the work that I do in the world, I consider myself a companion to others who are healing through grief, loss, and transition. So whether that's working with individuals or families, um, leading education workshops, uh, leading community grief rituals, and I also guide others in ancestral healing and connection. Um, and a big part of my work is how to bring the sacred and the community back to healing, and by community, not just our other human uh, fellows, fellow beings, but also the more than human world to um, really bring in a sense of belonging. And so, and it's important just to name into this space, many of the folks that I serve have had um, someone die by suicide or overdose. And then um, in my own personal relationship with suicide, I haven't I haven't personally lost a loved one to suicide, but I have um, had my own lived experience of being suicidal and navigating depression in my late teenage years and early 20s. So, uh, yeah, pleasure to be here. Thanks. Thank you, Shauna. And thanks to everyone already for the vulnerability and courage it takes to be holding space for these conversations. The show was born out of a conversation Mari and Nikki, my co-hosts, and I had after these high-profile suicides. And we really wanted to share this disclaimer at the top that um, you just heard, you know, the expertise um, and breadth and depth that our guests bring. But we three are also, um, we're not experts. We're speaking from our own experience. Um, and our aim is to explore healing for the creatively maladjusted to play off of King. The coverage of mental health and suicide is often one-dimensional, and we've witnessed people in media having a hard time explain, expanding on it. And also, in order to do this nuanced conversation justice, we want to share what others, you know, media... Um, and other experts have been saying about health and suicide. Right, so to start, let's listen to Dr. John Mann on Democracy Now! explain the recent rise of suicide in the US. Here's Dr. Mann speaking on Democracy Now! about race and gender disparities. What about racial disparities? So race seems to make a difference. Um, we're not entirely sure again what the reasons are. For example, the community that's most imperiled are North American um, 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 Indians in the United States. In Canada, the community that's most imperiled are the Inuits. In Australia, Australian Aborigines. So uh, somehow these groups are, are particularly at risk. Now it's true that they also have greater problems with things like substance use and alcohol use disorders, etc., etc. So white males account for seven of ten suicides. That was in 2016. Why is this demographic the greatest risk? White young men. So male suicide rates are three and a half times higher than females in the United States. We've tried to understand the differences. There are biological differences in the brain in women compared to men, and they're reflected in behavioral differences. Men are more prone to violence against others and as well as against themselves. Uh, but, but another big factor, we think, is help seeking. Women are more prepared to seek help more prepared to say, I have a problem and I need help with this. It's, men, culturally, socially, I find that a more difficult uh, step to take, and men are poorer at getting help for themselves. You are listening to Full Circle on KPFA 94.1 FM, and that was Dr. John Mann and Amy Goodman on Democracy Now! 
We are your hosts, Kat Petru, Mari Nakagawa, and Nicole Travasio, and we're joined by guests Shauna Jans, Panar Atesh Sinopoulos Lloyd, and Bree Williams to challenge our common understanding of mental health and suicide. So we keep hearing this stat that white, young white men are most at risk for suicide. Yet for every completed suicide, there are 25 attempted suicides that go uncounted in this statistic. And Dr. Men says that men take their lives at three times the rate of women, yet women actually attempt suicide two to three times more than men. So we want to bring in these groups that are often left out of this conversation. Um, I'm wondering, Bree, if you could sort of talk about the groups that fall through the cracks when we're talking about mental health, depression, and suicide. Um, I think that's... It's interesting, um, and I was looking at this a little bit about uh, why is the rate so high amongst white males, and um, what I didn't share is that I'm also a person who has lived experience in mental health diagnoses, if you will, uh, but where I work and how I live, we don't we don't really describe the diagnoses, we're just people who have lived experiences, um, and... Um, so so where I work, we have something called a, a 10 by 10 campaign. And what happens in, in the mental health world with consumers is that people who um, have untreated or unhealed mental health uh, experiences die 25 years quicker uh, than the normal population. And the 10 by 10 campaign is an effort to reduce that number by 10 years. What I think is interesting about this is that the correlation between uh, people of color and uh, white people, the death rate is only a difference of about four years. And and what happens is, um, I was looking at the research and it says that white males or, or uh, people who we don't think are so affected by mental health fall through the cracks because there is this expectation of who they should be and what they should be. And there's this pressure. Um, and I was recently in a support group uh, with the with the clinician and she was talking about how racism also can adversely affect white people. Um, and, you know. The, the interesting thing, and I know we're going to talk about it later, is that mental health is almost directly co- correlated to physical health. And yeah. in the in the world that we live in, it doesn't support anybody's mental health, really. Exactly. Um, there is something called the eight dimensions of wellness, where it addresses these eight different areas of wellness, uh, which are um, intellectual, emotional, environmental, spiritual, occupational, social, financial, and physical. So you could be lacking in any one of these areas, you know, and that could really affect your ability to be healthy and well. Um, so. Thank you. Thank you for that. Um, if neither of you want to follow up, I'd love to check in with one of our other guests. Mm-hmm. Yeah, let's yeah. do it. Should we go to Let's um, go to Pinar. Yeah. yeah. Pinar, I'm curious what comes up for you hearing what Bree just shared and also hearing the conversation between Amy Goodman and Dr. John Mann. Yeah, I think one thing that really comes up for me is like um, something that I heard from the statistics was um, the lack of representation of trans, non-binary, and two-spirit. Thank you, yes. So I just wanted to also bring that in because I know that in a lot of, at least on Turtle Island, the um, reservations um, here, that there's a lot more two-spirit suicides than any other population. Um, And that's also, you know, not to also mention, like, murdered and missing two-spirit people uh, and indigenous women as well. So just wanting to bring in those voices as well, since um, I feel like those statistics are rarely shared. And and also because, you know, we can't, some people don't feel comfortable outing themselves as trans as well. So maybe those statistics aren't 
completely accurate. But, um, yeah, so I just wanted to bring that in. That felt really important for me. Um, and I, I think that, you know, what I heard with that quote or uh, that piece, it just, I mean, it makes me think so much about how white supremacy and settler colonialism and cis-heteropatriarchy, for that matter, really impacts everyone um, and obviously impacts people on a different level depending on what kind of power location that you have. But, you know, I, I would say it degrades on everyone's psyche and soul. Um, so to me, it's, you know, definitely not surprising that a lot of, um, you know, men um, complete suicide um, at higher, you know, at higher rates. But because, again, like, I, it feels very true that, you know, if we want to bring in intergenerational trauma as well, like, that impacts so many people, including people who are, um, who have European and settler descent, um, or who are of that descent. So, yeah, I just feel like that adds a lot more complexity to the conversation. Um, and it feels so important to bring up the whole, yeah, in, ancestral trauma and vicarious trauma, also from the land, because I also do a lot of work with, um, um, connecting folks with a more than human world and it's incredible how much trauma is stored on the land that people can also receive mm -hmm. and not have a space to actually process that um, because it's so othered and you know just it, it's not even acknowledged that there's something such as like ecological grief or thank mm -hmm. you yes yeah, absolutely and we know Shauna also works in intergenerational trauma and connecting people with our ancestry and um land i'm wondering if shauna you could respond as well well i just really echo back what's already what's already been said and you know when i whether i'm talking with youth or uh like in a classroom or whether i'm in a one-on-one -on -one session with someone you know importance of really bringing in the context of yes this may be your personal grief your personal um, story, but it's definitely connected to the story and the dominant cultural storylines that are fed to us and that we're socialized in. And that when we, my, my view is, is that when we're experiencing and have lived experiences of different um, mental health, depression, being suicidal, that this is a response to living in a larger cultural setting right now that is... Um, it is soul numbing. It's it's mm -hmm. in a you know in a capitalist empire where there's very narrow no notions of success and mm -hmm. productivity becomes synonymous with having meaning and worth and value. Yes. Um, so that yes, let's bring in the complexity and there's many different intersections of identity and history and oppression and privilege, and that we are all impacted living in this uh, modern Western capitalist empire culture. And uh, so I found in my work, in my healing work, I bring that lens in all the time to try and disrupt that very um, individualizing mm -hmm. uh, and pathologizing storyline. Cause like, and it can even happen in well-meaning like therapist office where the the focus can often be just on the individual or the individual and, the, and their family, let's say, and their very particular individual circumstances. And how do we then broaden the view to not only cultural, but yes, ancestral, um, intergenerational. And then also just finally just want to name um, 
that uh, suicide is also really becoming more prevalent in, in the aging population and in our elders and our seniors. So I just wanted to name that also. Thank you for naming that. I just This is Kat again, and I just want to jump in really quick. I realize we didn't say this at the top of the show, but just um, obviously for folks who are listening, and if you just tuned in, this is a dense show. There's a lot of... Um, emotion in it and just please please take good care of yourselves while you listen pause if you're listening on a computer something you can come back it'll be archived drink water do what you need to do to take care of yourself and those around you i just wanted to to name that real quick Bree, i saw you nodding your head vigorously when shano and pinar were speaking i'm wondering if, if you want to respond to what they said um i just just more of the same uh just totally agree that uh you know, there's generational trauma, there's intergenerational trauma, there's vicarious trauma. And people, we we assume that mental health or wellness is for the, the wealthy or for the people who have it all, especially with the recent suicides. People are like, well, these are millionaires. Right. You know, people who have had it all um, and they're not people of color. So what in the world is going on? But... Um, I want, you know, there, there's mental, there's this idea of mental illness and it being like a, a chemical imbalance, like a brain thing. Yes. And there is something about trauma. And so there has to be uh, a way that we can address those two things separately because what happens is, like, for example, in, in the black community, you know, we go to jail. You know, or we get murdered. Um, very rarely do, uh, re- very rarely are there services that are re- readily available for African American people. And it, and it's for me, it's plain. It's based on racism. It's, it doesn't. It's not a. Uh, it's not by coincidence. Um, and it's very similar for other populations. But other people have been able to, you know, create a, a little different access, just because of racism. You know, there is there is a target on our backs, and we'll, you know, we we won't go into that. But it's just fact. Um, but. You know, I just totally agree, and I, and I I love that this conversation is happening because I want people to understand that you don't have to even have a diagnosis to be like quote unquote mentally ill. Mm-hmm. You know, if you live like one of the dimensions of wellness is environment. If you live in an environment where there's constant violence, you're not well. If you live in an environment where you don't have a, a, a grocery store with some fresh fruit, you're not well. You know, um, so there there are so many things that impact uh, mental health, and it has nothing to do with the diagnoses, and but it's also that too. And I think that's what um, that's the awareness that I love to create. Yeah, and I think that what you just said too speaks to what Pinar mentioned about grief, um, like ecological grief, and the fact that and and both Shauna and Pinar talked about already, like it's not just about human beings. Like it's not just about Homo sapiens. It, there we there are many people who understand that the exploitation that's been happening on land for centuries. Um, to engender capitalism can be understood as rape. That's a tremendous violence. And we're, we are more, I think one thing is like, so, so many of us know that we're sensitive and I think so many people are more sensitive than they realize. So we are about to go hard into intergenerational trauma with Dr. Joy DeGruy. For folks who aren't familiar, you're in for a really powerful treat. But first, let's take a music break to let some of this sink in. We are going to take a music break. It's happening in five, four, three. I'm worried that at the end of this countdown. <laughs> there we go. There, there we, we go. go. <laughs> <laughs> That's a deadline. Why you can't just face it? Why you always gotta be so Why you always talking shit? Always be complaining. Why you always gotta be? Why you 
Full Circle on 94.1 FM KPFA. That was Mad by Solange. We are we are your hosts, Nikki, Kat, and Mari. And we're joined by Shauna, Shauna Jans, Pinara Tesh, Sinopoulos, Lloyd, and Bree Williams to challenge our common understanding of mental health. Up next, Dr. Joy DeGruy shares her re- research on trauma, post-traumatic sleep disorder, PTSD, and explains how trauma transmitted interge- intergenerationally affects people today. 246 years, as it were, in American history of American chattel slavery, starting with 1619 to the ratification of the 13th Amendment in the United States. We're looking at 246 years of American chattel slavery. And it's very comfortable, and I think to some degree people can say, you can't have 246 years of trauma and expect that nothing happened, especially when that trauma was followed by more trauma, especially given the fact that there was never a point of healing. Not difficult to do the math here. This is not deep and philosophical. It really makes sense. But you know what else is true? You can't have 246 years of folks engaged in a traumatic experience that were white that went unaffected. That means everybody has been affected and infected by this thing. So that's the part that gets uncomfortable, because it's usually okay to look at the other. We're going to look at everybody. This is going to be one where we really uh, show the elephant in the room, and only for the purposes of recognizing that unless we do so, none of us can heal. Okay, so now let's do the math. Hundreds of years of trauma, no treatment. Freed, more trauma, no treatment. What do you do to math? Do you think there may be residual impacts of that trauma? Of course there is. It didn't end, friends, and it hasn't ended yet. So I think one, on one point, African people and people of African descent are extremely resilient. Matter of fact, I think we're a miracle. Far be it for us to pathologize or to look and cast this idea of weak and sick people. Oh, on the contrary, we are profoundly resilient because we've done everything we've done thus far with no help, with not even the ability to have this discussion. As though it were possible, we escaped injury in all those hundreds of years. Post-traumatic stress disorder, if in fact you are diagnosed with that, again, remember, direct or indirect trauma, here are some of the symptoms. A feeling of foreshortened future. Now, what does that mean? A feeling, well, you're not going to live long. How many of you are running into young people that don't believe they're going to make it past their 20s? Feeling of foreshortened future. Exaggerated startle response. Outbursts of anger. Difficulty falling or staying asleep. Hypervigilance. Right? These are symptoms of post-traumatic stress disorder. This is like DSM stuff, Diagnostic Statistical Manual Mental Disorders. It's in there. And there's a whole listing of all these symptoms. Now, I want to roll it back 
So you can understand what, I, what the transmission theory is, because I'm going to talk about transmission. So how does a person that's been traumatized by post-traumatic, literally has a diagnosis of post-traumatic stress disorder, and can we, if we are logical and we are reasonable people, assume that a fair number of Africans had to have had post-traumatic stress disorder? You think? I'm not talking about us, I'm talking about them. Untreated, though, right? Okay, so now let's do the math. Mom, who saw dad sold or sister raped, has post-traumatic stress disorder. Still mom though, right? Only mom now has outbursts of anger, feeling of foreshortened future, difficulty falling or staying asleep, hypervigilance, that would be mom. Now Johnny or Mary or Shaquisha does not have, did not have the original trauma, but what are they learning? This is called social learning theory. What am I normalizing? Exaggerated startle response, outbursts of anger. Do, are you following me? So I didn't have to be traumatized. Now, the other thing is, do you think Johnny and Mary got traumatized too? Do you see? So what happens in your environment, you learn from the significant others in your environment. And if they're broken, guess what you're going to be? You're learning from broken people. And you're normalizing that behavior. And then it becomes, years later, 2008, that's their culture. That's just the way they are. That's their culture. So there's poison in the cookies, right? But how are you going to tease out that poison? That means you have to look at the etiology of the behavior, which is what I spent many years doing. And it's not rocket science. This is not deep. Like I said, this is not required that, you know, someone has, you know, it's just common sense. Hello, you are listening to Full Circle on 94.1 FM KPFA. That was psychologist Dr. Joy DeGruy speaking about intergenerational trauma and post-traumatic slave disorder, or PTSD. Um, I'm your host, Kat Petru, and I'm joined with co-hosts Nicole Gervasio and Mari Nakagawa. Hi. <laughs> Thanks, Mari. <laughs> and sure. I know she, Dr. Joy DeGruy just ended that um, segment by saying it's common sense. And I also know that for many uh, term post-traumatic slave disorder or the idea of intergenerational trauma or this other concept that I don't think she named but we'll probably get into epigenetics which is the idea of trauma being carried down in our genes um, may be really might be new and so fortunately we are joined in studio and on the phone by three guests who are um, mental health providers and healers um, of various sorts live in studio we have Brie Williams from Peers and on the phone from British Columbia we have Shauna Jans, and on the phone from Big Sur, we have uh, Pinar Ateshinopoulos Lloyd. Thank you all for joining us. Um, and again, for folks just tuning in, this conversation, um, it, the jumping off point was the recent celebrity suicide shining a spotlight on mental health. And my co-host and I realized there was so much that mainstream media wasn't covering. And so we want to unpack that, and our guests are here to join us. So... I don't think I need to say too much more. I'm curious, uh, Pinar, Shauna, or Bree, does one of you want to jump in and start to address this? What, what Dr. Joy DeGruy just shared. I can hold back if someone else wants to jump in. Shauna or Pinar, do you want to start? We got you on the line? Uh, yeah, I'm here, Pinar. Yeah, do you want to jump in first? Awesome. Yep. Great. Uh, this is Shauna here. Oh, sorry. 
So we're, this is Shauna's voice we're hearing? This is, yeah. Okay, great. Shauna, go for it. <laughs> um, yeah, powerful, powerful clip. Um, and one thing that, and you had just mentioned this also, is is when we're, we're looking at families and we're looking at, um, like, cultural oppressive um, experiences and intergenerational trauma and healing, not only is it learned, like, um, was articulated so well in this clip, but there's right. also this component of epigenetics. And so, um, and a lot of research that's going into it. And I'm, I'm by no means uh, can, you know, speak up, um, articulately about epigenetics. I'm still learning about it myself. But in terms of doing the ancestral healing pieces, there's, I feel like there's, there's the good news is that if these things are learned, it means there's also, and, and the fact that we, yes, they're absolutely, people are resilient and and we need to continue focusing on that. So we need to be trauma informed, but we also, um, again, in our analysis and in our healing work, not just focus on the trauma, but focus on the resiliency and the well being, and what are all the factors that feed into the person's wellness. And um, and so uh, so just just naming like the intergeneral pieces, pieces. Yes, it's learning, it's epigenetics, and it's also to the ancestral healing work. And by this, I mean actually connecting with our ancestors in the present, in spirit form. Uh, these are three different avenues that um, we can approach healing through trauma. And um, there's an article that that just keeps coming to my mind uh, that been going around you know on on facebook land um by the author sean ginwright and it was it was uh published through medium it's called the future of healing shifting from trauma-informed care to healing-centered engagement and i feel like this is such an important perspective and it really resonates with everything that we're speaking to here that trauma is not just an individual experience but it's a collective one and that treating uh individuals is um, one aspect of it, but absolutely also bringing our lens to the oppressive systems, policies, and practices that um, have upheld uh, the reason why that, like the context of that trauma is taking place in. And then again, rather than just focusing on the pathology or the trauma or that kind of deficit-based, what's wrong with this person and treating those symptoms, also fostering the, the well-being. So we're bringing in culture, we're bringing in spirituality, collective healing, uh, social justice action, mm -hmm. and that healing is not just clinical, it's political. Mm -hmm. Thank I'll you. Leave I'll leave that, yeah. Thank, Thank you. you, yeah. And that healing, I think so much of the way we talk about um, mental health, depression, and suicide is so individualized and we don't talk we don't even really collectively understand the concept of collective healing and I know Brie you work with peers which is peer-to-peer -peer, it's people working with people mm -hmm. and I'm wondering if you talk about um, sort of uh, a social healing uh, that's like a huge part of what we believe in. Um, what I love about peers is that we constantly train ourselves on the different tools that we can use to engage with people. And there's this one uh, particular training that I love, community inclusion. And it talks about how people are not 
people don't get better in isolation. They get better in, in, in community. So it's, you know, you don't get better and heal from the mental health, uh, you know, issue by yourself at home and then reintegrate yourself into society. You, in, you reintegrate yourself into yourself in society by finding the people who uh, are like you, who like the things that you like, um, et cetera, et cetera. What I really love about what Shana just stated was about uh, healing, not just being cultural, but political. And I love this idea of ancestral healing. Uh, there's a there's a saying that, uh, that amongst healers that when you heal yourself, you heal your whole entire ancestral line mm. or lineage. Mm. And um, it's so important. It's so important for communities who um, experience a lot of trauma to have that cultural piece like one of my biggest dreams is to see like you know uh, a mental health organization or behavioral health care system that is just drumming and mm-hmm. and uh, collaging and massaging and and you know reiki and uh yoga and all of these things that reintegrate ourselves like she talked about just reintegrating ourselves back into our connecting to our spirits right. um because it's it it affects everybody yeah and and um i want to well, Pinar, do you want to respond to anything? Oh, gosh. I'm so inspired by everyone speaking right now. So, I, yeah, lots of echoes and um, snaps going on. Yeah. Um, but um, one just thing I just wanted to share really quick is, you know, um, really echoing the whole intergenerational resilience. And, you know, we focus so much or a lot of folks um, focus a lot on like intergenerational trauma and something that I heard, um, I think Shauna mentioned is that um, that we should also amplify intergenerational resilience. Um, and as someone who teaches survival skills um, to, to the LGBTQIA community, and um, it, it just, to me, it's just so clear um, how resilient people are, specifically like the queer and trans people of color as well, black indigenous people of color. And I just want to just name that like we come from like so many survival stories like in our bones and, um, you know, we know like survival skills. Like that is how like, you know, we're a miracle for being here um, as specifically as people who are black and brown and trans and queer or two-spirit. I just want to really um bring that in with the resilience and echo that absolutely and i think on a lot of the conversations we've been hearing in the media they're talking about um suicide is a cause of undiagnosed psychiatric or mental illness and that we just need better health care to be able to diagnose these and i wonder just like the ways that our bodies instinctively know how to heal themselves and we sort of learn, our bodies learn to not be able to do that. Similarly, our communities, we know that we're social beings. We know we do best in community. We do best when we spend time with people. And yet, I just wonder who benefits from um, us not you know, looking in our communities. Good in question. And on the, t- I love that everyone's bringing up healing because it plays right into the next song we're going to share. But right before we do that, I just want to also say, I heard um, all three of you a, a little bit speak to different ancestrally relevant or meaningful healing practices. And just like, I want to say like, we're, especially on, on Turtle Island, on the, um, U.S. unoccupied land, there's so much appropriation that happens. And so to really invite folks to get curious about 
how our ancestors, wherever they came from, healed. Like, what dances did they have? What rhythms did they have? What movements? Yes. What were their prayers? What were their chants, right? Because we don't have to steal yeah. from each other. We Everyone has access to this. It's not easy. That's because of legacies of colonization and imperialism, mm. etc. But it's it's doable and it just it takes some work you know what i'm saying yes indeed yes indeed okay <laughs> let's listen to another song sometimes we gotta listen to that intuition break free from the systematic ways of habits flow like etheric and get that leech off your spirit like Lena did i on friday night yeah Sometimes you just need to throw a party and celebrate the fact that we're healthy and still here. Uh, time to let your guard down, find trust in yourself so you can maintain the weight of your world and your wealth. Come to the river flow. Where it goes, well, I just don't know. There are times in your life when you have to learn to let go. Tuned in to Full Circle on KPFA 94.1 FM. That song we were just listening to is If You Need to Move On Sometimes by Ladybug Mecca. Tonight we're flipping the script on mental health, depression, and suicide with our guests Shauna Jans, Pinar Atesh Sinopoulos Lloyd, and Bree Williams. And we are your hosts. That was Mari Nakagawa, and I'm Kat Petru, and Nicole Gervasio also joins us in studio. And up next, I wanted to bring this clip in from a documentary documentary series by British filmmaker Adam Curtis. It's called Century of the Self, and it investigates the relationship between psychoanalysis, capitalism, and politics. Whoa. In this clip, a psychologist discusses yet another celebrity suicide, that of Marilyn Monroe. And then it's followed by um, reflections from her late husband, Monroe's late husband, Arthur Miller. What Greenson did was follow Anna Freud's theory. If Marilyn Monroe could be taught to conform to what society considered a normal pattern of life, that would help her ego control her inner destructive urges. But Greenson pushed it to an extreme. He persuaded Monroe to move into a house nearby that was decorated like his own. He then took her into his own family life, and he, his wife, and his daughter played at being Monroe's own family. Greenson himself would become the model of conformity. And so this, someone whom she regarded as important and uh, whom she idealized, if he turned out to be a very gratifying father figure, she, her ego would benefit from that. That was the theory. His wife and children, everyone was involved in yeah. They were strengthening the person, they were strengthening the mind, they were strengthening the agent that controls inner life against adversity, against insufficiency, against too much frustration. So that Marilyn Monroe would no longer be a helpless person looking for love. She'd have enough love. But despite all his efforts, Greenson was unable to help Marilyn Monroe. On August the 5th, 1962, she committed suicide in her house. The suicide shocked many in the analytic community, including Anna Freud. And high-profile figures in American life, 
who had previously been enthusiasts for psychoanalysis, now began to question why psychoanalysis had become so powerful in America. Was it really because it benefited individuals? Or had it in fact become a form of constraint in the interests of social order? The critics included Monroe's ex-husband, Arthur Miller. My argument with so much psychoanalysis is the preconception that suffering is a mistake or a sign of weakness or a sign even of illness when in fact possibly the greatest truths we know have come out of people's suffering that the problem is not to undo suffering or to wipe it off the face of the earth but to make it inform our lives instead of trying to cure ourselves of it constantly and avoid it and avoid anything but that lobotomized sense of what they call happiness there's too much of an attempt, it seems to me, to think in terms of controlling man rather than freeing him, of, of uh, defining him rather than, uh, than, than uh, letting him go. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's part of the whole ideology of this age, which is power mad. Hey, have you heard about the crazy new way to send a message today? It flashed on a screen too quick to see. You're listening to Full Circle on KPFA 94.1 FM on Occupied Huchin or Berkeley. We're your hosts, Nikki Gervasio, Kat Petru, and I'm Mari Nakagawa, and we're joined by guests Panar, Bree, and Shauna to provide a critical response to our country's current discussion of suicide and mental health. You just heard a clip from Century of the Self, a documentary series by British filmmaker Adam Curtis. It's interesting to look at another high-profile suicide in the context of this conversation. Marilyn Monroe's struggle to conform reminds me again of the quote that was shared at the beginning of the show. And those uh, we shared two quotes, and one is Martin Luther King Jr., who said, Human salvation lies in the hands of the creatively maladjusted. And the other quote is um, Jiddu Krishnamurti, who said, It is no measure of health to be well-adjusted to a profoundly sick society. So in, in preparation for the show, Mari and I read an article by Dr. Brandon H. Hidaka called Depression as a Disease of Modernity, Explanations for Increasing Prevalence. And um, in his research, Hidaka um, reveals that some of our basic human needs are not being met in this culture. So something as simple as like getting enough sunlight like our bodies need more sunlight, vitamin D, and then also just like our bodies are meant to walk further dis distances than we get to walk today. So a lot of people are driving, we sit in offices all day, and these are very simple like things that our bodies are just rejecting. Our bodies are rejecting what is con what we've been conditioned to believe is normal. And I'm wondering if the guests want to talk more about that. So I'm wondering if Panar, you have anything to say? I know you work a lot with reconnecting um, and learning from the earth yeah thank you for asking i was um yeah i just feel really grateful for this question that you all are asking and um one of the things that i just wanted to name too is like um i don't know if you all are familiar with this but there's this concept called like being isolated as a species and oh. how we live in a very human-centric society where right. we are more than human and um our ecological kin from ourselves you know like where, you know, prairie dogs become pests and, like, coyotes are, you know, pests in some ways and mm. pigeons, etc. 
even though they're actually trying to adapt to our landscape and break, you know, human um, isolation that we've actually, and I don't want to say we, but I would say settler colonialism in particular and white supremacy has created. Mm -hmm. Um, And one of the things that I do in my work is that I guide vision fasts or uh, wilderness solos is a better way of saying it um, and come from a rite of passage perspective and, um, and one of the key questions whenever people go out on the land for four days and four nights fasting by themselves is, um, you know, what needs to die in order for you to fully step into mm. who you are. And, um, and what's interesting is for me, when I started getting into this work, um, I was actually very inspired as a suicide survivor myself, um, where I was very obsessed in some ways with death and my own death. Um, and what I've come to realize is that it wasn't me who actually needed to die, uh, but it was an aspect of myself that needed to um, be given death to, and it's a psycho-spiritual aspect of myself. But what even more is true is that there's actually the dominant culture that needs to die in many ways, and um, or aspects of it that are oppressive and, you know, ecocidal, um, you know, d- really extracting the natural world and our communities, specifically black and brown bodies. Um, So, and in some ways, I feel like the bigger, broader question of rites of passage currently is not the hyper-individualism piece where, you know, um, therapy also gets into, you know, the privatization of our emotions, but it's actually, you know, what needs to die in our culture or the dominant culture. And so that's something that really comes up for me when I heard... um, that clip and also your following question. That's beautiful. Thank you so much for sharing that. Shauna or Bree, do you want to jump in? Go for it, Bree. Um, oh, go ahead, Bree. Go ahead, Bree. <laughs> uh, what came up for me after hearing the clip? Um, there is another training that I went through, went through that I really enjoy called Intentional Peer Support. And one thing that our trainers really stressed to us was that it was so important to describe feelings as feelings and not to describe them as diagnoses. Uh, like the gentleman was talking about, you know, this idea of letting humans just be and let them go and not, not trying to define them or cage them or, or calling this thing a problem thing. And... I think that, like, that's it. Uh, We have a group called Special Messages, um, and these are people who hear voices, and a lot of the times, you know, people who hear voices are are hugely just, you know, Mm -hmm. stigmatized Mm -hmm. and uh, shunned from society. But in this training, they learn how to to, to describe the feelings, and it's almost treated like a spiritual experience. And it is, you know, it is telling of something, maybe there's a part of you that needs to die, uh, or, you know, there's a part of you that needs some extra attention, or, you know, just, it's so important. Uh, for us to just take a step back, um, you know, take a step back from from the conditions that we live in. Um, a lot of it is due to um, to being colonized, but it's so important to. Like I, like I said before, like I'm a huge advocate for like going back, like drumming, taking some herbs and vitamins. Like you don't, you know, medication is a thing, and people who take that and it's used for them, for them, I'm pro that. But I'm also pro, you know, earth and and vitamins and and things that we can do, physical activity, things that we can do to really take, uh, just take ourselves back um, and just be, and not allow that to to be a thing. Like it doesn't have to be a thing. It's just that we're people, you know, with mm-hmm. with many different ways that we show up. Absolutely, yes, and. Shana, you want to please share? Yeah, what, what's coming to mind? And um, yeah, and just 
also just feeling so grateful to be part of this conversation. And just, you can't see me, but I'm like nodding my head a lot. <laughs> everyone's sharing. So, um, what, what comes up for me is just like, we're in this dominant culture, we're not doing a very good job of really celebrating the diversity. And when we speak about neurodivergence, and I think about, my mind kind of goes to like, systems and systems theory and thinking about our culture as, a, as one large organism or nervous system and you think where does how do we truly respond to what's needed in our time so there's so much cultural social um, environmental healing that is is we all know this it's so needed in our times and how do we stay open and responsive to actually be able to allow the earth and our connection to earth and to all beings to help help us connect and dream through what needs to be responded to. And when I think about people with who have different experiences, lived experiences and uh, neurodivergence in, in how they are and who they are in the world and how they process information, like in a systems theory, when, when it's in spaces of liminality and novelty and disruption and even chaos, that new ways of being and knowing and responses come. And so if we're living in a culture that, that wants to stamp those out, stamp those spaces out, whether they be cultural spaces or identities and, and people's lived bodies and expressions in the world, we are actually stamping out our ability to respond to what is so needed in our times for the healing. Thank you so much. And I can't believe I'm saying this, but we are already very close to the end of tonight's show. We knew this was going to be a, an intense thing to dive into. So please know, listeners, that you can find resources and also um, links to all of our guests to continue the conversation on our website, which is kpfaapprentice.org. Um and thank you so much to our three guests. And I'm extending right now an invitation to continue this dialogue and perhaps build out more shows. Absolutely. Um, a quick note, uh, there's an event um, on Sunday, July 8th, 11 to 12, 555. Five giant highway in Richmond. Um, let our people go. Uh, July protest. Uh, Richmond Jail, Bay Area Ice Detention Center. Uh, we'll have a link to that on our website as well. And we're gonna end with a final piece um, from a booklet by Mindful Occupation, which is the Icarus Project and Occupy movement coming together. Um, this is called Dandelion Roots. <laughs> There are so many of us out here who feel the world with thin skin and heavy hearts, who get called crazy because we're too full of fire and pain, who know that other worlds exist and aren't comfortable in this version of reality. We've been busting up out of sidewalks and blooming all kind of misfit flowers for as long as people have been walking on this earth. So many of us have access to secret layers of consciousness, you could think of us like dandelion roots that gather minerals from hidden layers of the soil that other plants don't reach. If we're lucky, we share them with everyone on the surface because we feel things stronger than other people around us. A lot of us have visions about how things could be different, why they need to be different, and it's painful to keep them silent. Sometimes we get called sick, and sometimes we get called sacred, but no matter how they name us, we are a vital part of making this planet whole. 
It is time we connect our underground roots and tell our buried stories, growing up strong and scatter our visions all over the patches of scarred and damaged soil in a society that is so desperately in need of change. brings us to the end of tonight's show. A huge thank you again to our guests, uh, Shauna Jans, Bree Williams, and Panara Atesh Sinopoulos Lloyd. Um, we've been your hosts, Kat Petru, Nicole Gervasio, and Mari Nakagawa, and thanks to Steve for recording that. Um, tune in next week for a show by graduate apprentice David de la Gran, exploring our complex relationship with money. Our executive producer is Miss M, our technical director is Freewill and Frank Sterling. Joy Moore is our production consultant. We've been your hosts, I already said our name, and thanks to Darlene Pagano on the board and tech assistance uh, from Sharon tonight from Group 43. And thank you so much for tuning in tonight on Full Circle. Please take good care of yourselves as you process this show. Stay tuned. La Onda Bajita is next. Mm-hmm.